Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marlowe. I am Connor O'Kara. It is 4th of July. It's the week of 4th of July. That's all that really matters. Um, it deserves its own week. I think yeah, I'm in the middle there. of a seven-day weekend. Oh, that's not really impressive. I guess our boss is listening. I'm not doing that. <laughs> for the third week in a row, we did something that we've been wanting to do for a very long time. Sort of a, an SDS podcast bucket list, if you will. So a couple weeks ago, we interviewed Steven Garcia, went really, really well, got some great stories out of him. I think a lot of you really enjoyed that, reached out to us, had a lot of fun doing that. Last week, we started our new series, It Just Meant More, where we looked back at the 2012 SEC Championship game. Tentative plans maybe to go back to that series uh, at the end of July, maybe early August. We want to do a couple of those before the season starts. Tentatively speaking, that's the plan. This week, as you can tell by the title, we did something that I know a lot of people are gonna they're gonna say, why in the world did you do that? We interviewed Danny Canal. It was great. It was great. Let me just say that. If you have if you have an open mind, you are gonna listen to this interview, and I promise you, you will have a new perspective of Danny Canal. You might not like the guy, and you might still want to avoid him on social media, Which is fine. but I think you will have a totally different perspective than what you had before. Yeah, and I don't know, I mean, this is something I probably shouldn't say, but it's fine. I'll say it anyway. I've never related more to a guest we've had on the show, mainly because of social media stuff. Um, but no, I mean, I think it was cool because he, he was able to kind of shed some light on why he is the way he is. Yes, the Michael Scott guest. Right. Thank you. Why are you the way that you are? I think for a lot of people who might have that approach going into this, you will get some insight as to just kind of what what really his thought process behind his whole deal is, which is anti-SEC. And he kind of explains just what was at the root of all that. So we had a lot of fun with Danny. And he also was pretty complimentary of the SEC. He was. And I will say that. Is it wasn't like this isn't going to be as combative as you you might have thought. And a little peel behind the onion here. The first time that we went through and we we did we usually do like a, a doc to come up with these these interviews and stuff and we'll basically like throw our questions on a doc and share them and the first like five questions i had were all like oh man <laughs> um maybe we'll do we'll talk about those another time but then you know kind of tweaked up we still called out danny don't get me wrong yeah. like, we still called him out for his bad takes and stuff and we kept him honest but i think we gave him a platform to just explain where his um his whole deal is is really sourced from and what yeah. why he is the way that he is. And the truth behind it and also and did a roast battle. Oh, that was first good. ever that roast really battle good. we've had on here um in in lieu of a what do you call it family feud. It was good. It was good. So it anyway, was, it was very good. Definitely stick around for that. Got a, a nice a nice long interview with Danny on the way. Um, before we do that, we have a couple of America things that we want to get to. Some very patriotic things, I promise. Uh, but before we do that, I realized that you know last week with the timing of our It Just Meant More series, we didn't really have a chance to talk about the Jeremiah Holloman thing, which was a nice little Friday news dump. By now, it's it's almost been two weeks since that happened. Right. So I don't really want to go into like crazy depth about Jeremiah Holloman. You guys have already seen all the stuff out there. No playoff team has ever had to replace its top five receivers from the previous season, and, just, and that's what the hurdle is. So we're being clear. We're not two weeks late on this news. I feel like we have to preface this because there's right, going to be at least right, right. one person that's like, Saturday South, late, late to everything, or something ridiculous like that. There was a very, like, personal thing I had to go travel for. That's the only reason we're, we haven't discussed it yet. So, C- correct. We'll discuss correct. more about that later. But yeah, that's that's why we're discussing it now. 
Yeah, so I think what a lot of Georgia fans have tried to do the last week, week and a half or so, is just try and turn the page and look at, all right, yeah. you know, what in the world is, is left? And everybody has talked about the talent, and obviously guys like George Pickens they're excited for, uh, Lawrence Cager, the grad transfer from Miami, people are excited for. But the guy that I think is the most interesting in this whole deal, and somebody that we've talked about a little bit, but not as much as I thought we were going to talk about him as much because his production didn't warrant it, was Demetrius Robertson. The former Cal transfer, the former five-star kid out of Savannah who came back to Georgia last year in 2018, didn't have a catch-all year, had four rushes, and now all of a sudden is going to be thrust into this role. And Jake Fromm was asked about it at the Manning Passing Academy over the weekend, and he basically said, like, yeah, he's got to be one of our guys that has to step up into this, this bigger role. And I think that his career arc makes him the most interesting or most important wild card that there is in college football as it relates to national title aspirations and just a preseason deficiency or at least a perceived one and, and what can be addressed with his production alone. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, when you brought it up this morning, I was, I mean, it really escalated quickly when you said, like, you know, out of everyone in the country, regardless. I mean, I think Robertson is, it's, it's an odd career arc, like you said. Like, I mean, it's a five-star kid, one of the highest-rated kids coming out of, out of his class, I think he was like the thirteenth number, thirteenth overall. Signed ranked late. Signed really Signed late. Very late. And went to Cal, which is odd because he's. I mean, he's from Georgia, so kind of a surprise there. But and especially right when Kirby got there too, because he's getting everybody. Um, I kind of thought he'd have a bigger impact last season and didn't. And, and as you put, only had only had four carries, right? Like it wasn't even he had no receptions. So I basically spent this morning kind of going back and digging into it because we've kind of scratched at the surface of what his impact was last year, why it didn't necessarily work out. And, and I don't think it's enough to just chalk it up to, oh, well, he showed up in July right. and he was behind all of these other receivers. I think that's obviously part of it when you have Miko Hardman and Riley Ridley and Terry Godwin, Isaac Nata, all these guys ahead of you who are more, they have a they have more of, a, of an established rapport with Jake Fromm. That, that obviously is going to come into it, but... I went back and I looked at his freshman year and even like some of the stuff that he went through in, in high school and people might forget his senior year of high school, he was a thousand yard rusher. Yeah. He wasn't a thousand yard receiver. And so I went back and I looked at his 2016 highlights from Cal. They're all the same thing. It's it's go routes, it's, it's little skinny post routes and he's just catching bombs from Davis Webb. Right. And it kind of makes you realize like, Oh man, like he was just beating, he was just getting one on one coverage and he would just beat a guy. Or Davis Webb would look off a of safety and then he just throws deep to Demetrius Robertson. And that's why he had this freshman All America season where, you know, he had like 757 receiving yards, like seven touchdowns, and he put up good numbers. And you're like, okay, so why wasn't he able to do that? Why wasn't he improved more so at Georgia? And I think there's a little bit of a rawness there as a receiver. And right. I think if you're a one-trick, you can't be a one-trick pony in the SEC. And I think what probably happened, what would make the most sense, is that he got into practice at Georgia, and if you can only do one thing against a secondary that good, as good as the Georgia secondary was last year, they're like, why are we going to play you out in games if we, if we think that that's going to happen? You guys can play off you at the line of scrimmage. He wasn't proven as a guy who could catch passes between the hashes and, and really be a possession receiver. And I think that that's what kind of hurt him combined with you know him obviously showing up late to camp. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to make that jump when you get from high school to college and like the difference in speed, the difference in size, the difference in athletes that you're around, especially every day in practice. Going from, I, I almost wonder if it was a bigger jump 
like from him going from high school to Cal, then going from Cal to UGA because of the kind mm-hmm. of athletes he was seeing every day in practice in Athens. And, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs of, of why he didn't go in the field last year, but I will say this. The reason why I think you might be, you know, onto something here with it being like the biggest, like most important wild card or biggest wild card um, for any like playoff contending team this year is even before Holloman, if you look at SB Nation, I know Bill Connolly always has like the returning production percentage that he comes out with. And, and you know, to be fair, this is like in early January. But even before Holloman was dismissed, Georgia was ranked 99th in the country and right. 13th in the SEC in terms of returning offensive, just offensive production. So, Ole Miss, the only team below him, yeah. Right. So, I mean, that, that is, a, that is a, a, lot of, a lot of big shoes to fill. A lot of big yeah. shoes to fill. And so, you know, somebody's got to step up. I, I think, obviously, Pickens seems like a, a pretty good candidate. And, and, you know, a lot of people are actually almost even more excited about Dominic Blaylock, the other other incoming right. freshman. But when you have a guy like Robertson, who is a legit top 15 player in the country coming out of high school and already put up big numbers on the collegiate level, a lot is going to be expected out of him this year. Yeah, and I think, I think too, you know, as excited as people are about Pickens, I don't think it's realistic if you're a national championship contending team to just say, oh, let's just hope he can be 2012 Amari Cooper. That's not fair. Yeah. That's not fair to a kid. Like, these things tend to take a little bit longer than, you know, certain guys make it look easier than it is. And even if he's not at that level immediately as a freshman, there's no telling what he can do, you know, in his three years in Athens, if that's what he ultimately chooses to do. But to me, Robertson is the one who, if you're if you're looking at a guy who can take the top off a of defense yep. and also do a variety of things for you, can just that, that opens up things so much more for what that offense wants to do. And if those guys are going to really be able to to have the, the type of balance that they want offensively, I just feel like you need a guy like Robertson who can not only take the top off a of defense, but can show you like, oh, if you don't account for him on a little bubble screen, like he can make you he can make you pay. He can right. be a Miko Hardman type player where he's the type of guy that just turns something out of nothing. And to me, like that's why he he is so intriguing in right. this offense. And I think that that's why he is the guy who can really if he has that all SEC season, I think we're going to be talking about Georgia in like a really really good way by the end of this regular season. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's that's definitely accurate. And and the thing with Pickens is, I, I think he can come come in right away and, and be like a physical presence just from like what he was able to do. I know it was high school, but like what he was able to do, especially with his highlights and in like one on ones and seven on seven, especially like he is a physical mismatch. Um, you know, Blaylock in the slot. Like I, I wonder if. They're going to be able, hopefully they're not going to have to share a role with him and Robertson. I'm sure they won't. But like as much as they lost, they have a lot of talent, a lot of talent. And when you talk about being like what, what their offense could be this year, they have the best offensive line in the country. Like I don't, I don't even think that's, and that's the question. calling card. And it's yeah. really not even close. Like and and Swift like in the backfield. I think you're going to be able to have a really stable offense. It's going to be a run first offense. But when you have guys like, you know, I, I know the lack of experience when you have Robertson and Pickens and a guy like Blaylock. That's a lot of a lot of dangerous, dangerous, explosive threats on offense. We've it's got the sirens running. Yeah. Oh, si- sirens. Of course, it's not a real podcast unless we got sirens going on in the background. Thank you, downtown Atlanta, for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of where, where we stand with this team, and it's that's the obvious preseason deficiency. And you know, I, just looking more at Robertson, I, I think he's going to be somebody that we're going to watch really closely in, in 2019 and how he develops in this offense. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the good old USA. We have the most explosive players in the SEC, at least what we think. And America. The most explosive. Yeah, the most explosive players in the United States. The SEC is America. But only from no. the SEC. 
Um, all right, so I came up with a handful. You came up with some Bama receivers and some other <laughs> dudes. <laughs> um, we, there's some overlap here. So um, yeah, We didn't rank the, them. These are just it's a list. Exactly. Don't no rankings here. It's just we, when we think explosive players and take that for what you what you will. I think it's home run playability. I think it's you know showing the the ability to to move quickly on a, on a straight line shows explosion to me and just that that ability to have that quick first step. All those things explosive. Anthony Schwartz is the most obvious one on this list. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, like it's if you include if you have a list of explosive players and don't include the Auburn receiver who's. Also a world-class sprinter. I, I don't even know what the point of the list is. Yeah, um, I mean, he's, he's got to be the first guy you mentioned. Um, like, straight line speed, incredible. Um, open field, it's just like a nightmare to have to deal with. Now, I will say, you worry about how many times Gus is going to go to the well with somebody like this and go to a bubble screen or a jet sweep. Because mm-hmm. he is that fast. But, I mean, this, this is one of those guys, and I feel like there's one at least every single year where someone's like, yeah, dude, I, I, we actually timed him in practice at a sub four two. Like I don't know if you did or not. I really don't know if you were able to do that or not. That's very Anthony fast. Schwartz is Anthony Schwartz is gonna by the end of the season somebody's gonna clock him at a three nine right, forty. Right. And you're just gonna be like, <laughs> all right, come on, let's what, what are we doing here? Yeah, so um, I don't I don't know if it's that like that, but he is definitely one of, if not the most explosive player in the conference. No doubt, no doubt. And if you're Gus Malzahn, if you don't find out a way to use him this year, like just you know, you may as well don't let the door hit you on the way out because that put that him at quarterback, Gus. <laughs> um, couple running backs, DeAndre Swift, obvious one. He looks like he's shot out of a cannon pretty much every time he touches the ball. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn, the most explosive running back in the SEC, one of the most explosive in the country. Didn't realize all of these things. I knew he had like the the most home run plays, but the to the extent of it, ten rushes of forty yards or more. Right. Six rushes of 60 yards or more, and then he had three, of course, of 60 yards or more in the Texas Bowl. Um, that doesn't happen. Just that often. one, yeah. That was the just one game, and, and so yeah. also what people don't understand about him too is, like, you know, I understand. I'm drawing a blank real quick on on the quarterback from last year. I keep thinking, right, Kyle Shermer. Yeah, Kyle Shermer. So like, I understand that he was a third year starting senior quarterback, and and they do have Kalijah Litzkum, and they have Pink, uh, Pinkney. I'm not yeah, Jerry Pinkney. Yeah, okay. And if it was Pinkney or, or Hill Just Sinky. call him the big three. It's easier. Yeah, there you go. Um, but with Vaughn, what people forget is Vaughn led the SEC in yards per carry in 7. conference 9. games. Well, no, but 7.9 oh. yards per carry in, in overall games, but in just, like, against SEC opponents, 6.92 yards per carry. And now, to be fair, Swift averaged 6.9, came on strong, really strong at the later nice. half, or latter half of the season. But, yeah, I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn, he's, he's like the unsung hero of the SEC. He, he does a lot a lot, and they're going to have to have someone do even more this year. Defensive side of the ball. Um, this one, you wouldn't typically think defensive end. Guy who made Bruce Feldman's freaks list last year, yeah. Jabari, Jabari Zuniga, somebody who broad jumped 9-11. Um, he had a that, – that came out of USA episode. That was a weird sentence. That, yeah, um, that was. Also, 9-11 is not that great of a broad jump. Yeah. Not, for a defensive end, though, that's, yeah, that's, that's like really good. Montez yeah. Sweat set the bar way too high for everybody this past yeah. year. Exactly. Uh, 33 inch vertical, also pretty good. 7.9% body fat at 6'3, 259. That's not really like an explosion thing. I was just really impressed. That's what by I would have opened with, yeah. I, I mean, that, <laughs> I was at like 8% body fat when I was like 180 pounds. I don't yeah, want to say so what I'm at now. That's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and last year, of course, we, you know, we saw what he could do off the line of scrimmage in Todd Grantham's defense. What he did against LSU, the one time I For saw real. him in person last year, I was super, super impressed with him. One that is near and dear to your heart, Dylan Moses. Yeah. 
really good the athlete. former what, what was the combination like that that he had coming out of high school that he was like a mix of Bo Jackson LeBron James and if Hulk was a transformer basically that I don't I don't know um but yeah I mean ran a four four six forty yard dash two months into his high school career He's a leading tackler on Bama because his his instincts are so good, and that's why he's so highly rated as a recruit. His floor is so high. Even if he doesn't have this All-American senior season, he's going to go really high in the draft. I know. Well, we assume. I mean, yeah, come on. Let's, that's let's be honest. I mean, but it's um, rare that you have a guy that's been like – Mac Wilson wasn't necessarily a three-year starter on defense, but when you have a guy that played a significant role for the last three years under defense and, and be all over the field as much as Mac was – it's rare that you have an, an upgrade, I think, from your Mike linebacker after you lose one, and, and that's that's exactly what Moses is. And no question about it, he is an upgrade, absolutely. Uh, Javaris Davis, Auburn cornerback. Um, Auburn's had their fair share of speedy cornerbacks. He, I didn't realize this. We had a 4-2-4 in the 40 back in uh, 2017 when Auburn was doing its spring testing. Yeah. I, that headline must have just slipped right past me. I didn't see that. Uh, but then watching like a couple clips of him, I was like, oh, Okay, yeah, explosive. Yeah, we can we can count that. Ask any Auburn any Auburn fan because it's one of the first things they'll bring up. Oh, we have a cornerback who runs a four two four four. I mean, they have they have possibly the fastest team. I feel like maybe in the conference just because of Schwartz and and there's another receiver too. I'm forgetting that apparently also runs under a four two, which is not physically possible. I feel like, but to to be fair, if you were introducing yourself to somebody and you knew in the you had in your back pocket you ran a four two four forty. First thing I would say. How how many seconds? Would, would it take for that? Connor, I can tell you from firsthand experience that when I actually was 8% body fat, that was how I introduced myself. I'm Chris, 8% body fat Marler. I think you would just have a chain. I feel like that's more your Yeah, speed. a body fat chain. Body fat chain. Okay. Somebody should have done that. It's a good um, idea. I like that. <laughs> yeah, those. so those were the ones I came up with. You have some ones that... That, that also very, very good could, uh, like I said, not a ranking, but I think all right. everybody that, that was included on this list is worthy. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we're forgetting some people. We're trying to just, you know, like it's, we're not going to go over every single one of them, but like the Bama receivers, I'm not being a homer here. I mean, Judy from a start-stop standpoint, from like, you know, being able to, again, be like a nightmare in, in the open field, he's so shifty and explosive. And I think what averaged like 19.3 yards per reception last year, um, obviously had 14 touchdowns, like 1,500 yards receiving. But a guy like Henry Ruggs, who we've talked about, he's, he's been projected to possibly go in the first round. He's a 4-2-5 guy. Um, the one that I feel like, you know, I told you last year, you were sleeping on before the season, uh, who I think is possibly the most explosive player in the conference, and that's Jalen Waddell. That's, he's the slipperiest. That, that is know. true. Um, I mean, as a freshman, averaged 18.8 yards per catch, and then also has like the most or the highest um, – Punt return or yards per punt return, like fourteen point six. He had he had four punt returns of thirty yards or more, which was I mean that's just stupid. And we saw what he was able to like, do like in the in, I feel like I saw all those two in person. Yeah, I mean he was well yeah we actually got to a couple games, but I mean like last year like the pass he got from Tua like in the SEC championship game that accounted for it had to be like over half of Tua's yards. It probably was. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. That was I when I was getting my that. water break at the game, but yeah. So I think Waddle, um, I think Waddle, he's, he's definitely one of them. So this is a guy that. People have ripped us apart on Instagram because we recently had our top 10 cornerbacks from our good buddy Adam Spencer. But Derek Stingley, he wasn't in the rankings because he hasn't, you know, besides the spring game, stepped on the field yet in, like, meaningful action. Stingley, I think, is going to be, like, just an instant star and an instant stud in, in the conference. 
I mean, yeah, he'll be an All-American by the time he's a sophomore. I think look, one of the big, yeah, agreed. I think one of the biggest things that's different now for recruiting is with like technology. I, I remember hearing like, like Marquise Mays when he was being recruited like 2007. They he's like, yeah, we clocked him at a four three eight. You didn't. He ran like a four six the combine. But like now that you have like actual like laser time forties and these big you know combines that they, like they go to like even as juniors and seniors, Stingley having a forty two inch vert and running a four three flat forty. That's legit. Like that. That's ooh. That's another thing too. I, we talk about the the forty chain or the body fat chain. Um, it would take if I had a forty two inch vertical, I would just jump everywhere. Everywhere. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't walk. I would just jump and hop all the time. Yeah, it was like conaroo, like a kangaroo. You guys get it? Ooh. Boom. Yeah, that's good. Uh, no, that's I, th- good. I think Stingley's gonna be. He's gonna be a, a really really good player. Um, and instantly like one of the most explosive players. Uh, the other ones, I'll just I guess J- Justin Jefferson. I know you're really high on him. Um, he was a pretty pretty good go-to guy and like a one for LSU, which we always had that like kind of negative connotation with their offense that it's it's not as explosive as they want it to be. Uh, he had like sixteen point two yards per catch last year, which is good. Uh, Lamichael Pirine, I feel like just in the red zone, Lamical, Lamical, uh, just in the red zone specifically. His he's not one of the fastest guys I feel like in the conference, but his ability like envision to be able to stop on a dime, cut, especially in the red zone, is is second to none in the conference. Teaser, I'm going to have him just out. I'm going to have him in my best of the rest in my top 25 SEC players. And I already know that I'm going to get more flack about leaving him out of my top 25 yeah. than anybody. Yeah, that's going to go over really well. Uh, yeah. And the last thing I'll say, Marquez Callaway from Tennessee, uh, you know, talking about a guy that can can do a lot of things for a football team. Not only did he have over 16 yards per catch as a receiver, I know Garantano didn't put up, you know, prolific numbers necessarily in that offense last year. But also, he was second only to Waddle in terms of returning um, – Players returning with, with the highest uh, yards per punt return, at like over 12.6. And last but not least, my man, Lynn Bowden. Everyone's sleeping on Lynn Bowden. He had five total punt returns last year. Two of them went for touchdowns. Also a great receiver. He's, he's going to be a huge, huge star, I think, in the SEC this year. Terry Wilson. The, the, sky, the sky is the limit. I'm, I'm sipping the, the Terry Wilson, neighbor Terry Wilson, his Kool-Aid. That he just has out for his Fourth of July barbecue. I'm drinking it. Man. He's giving it to me. How did we not think about doing an Uncle Terry Wilson or neighbor Terry Wilson Fourth of July special? I love how we've combined because my dad used to be called Uncle Terry a lot, <laughs> and I said that I'm a, by mistake like two or three times. And I love how we've each we've each beefed up on that in the you know past past few times and saying that instead of neighbor Terry Wilson. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, we probably should have. Yeah. Who who shows up to to neighbor Terry Wilson's barbecue? Our man Mark Stoops. That's for sure. Oh, he's doing the grilling. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no. Neighbor Terry Wilson's doing the grilling. Nobody touches neighbor Terry Wilson's grill. Eh, maybe Mark Stoops. Maybe. Yeah, well, that's fine. We agree to disagree yeah. on that. Um, so something that we did last year that I think is worth revisiting. Last year, we discussed on this here podcast, who is America's team? And the answer is in case you were not listening last year, which you should have been, but you missed out. The answer is last year that I came up with um, were Boise State, LSU, Oregon, Wisconsin, and then my wild card was Mark Richt. Uh, Mark Richt led Miami was my wild card. Um, usually I like to say when you when you open up with something like the blank that I came up with, I like to correct you and say we, but I'm going to let you say no, the this island was, on that one. That was all you. Yeah, that, that, was, that was me, and I, I didn't want to group you into that because there was some disagreement on it, and the, as part of it, you know, the, the, the way that we define this is 
if you're going to be America's team, you can't be, if you're a traditional power like Bama can't be America's, America's team. Notre Dame can't be America's team. You're hated by too many people. Michigan, you're hated by too many people. Right. You have too many people that will flip you on on a given day and say, I'm rooting against them. I don't yeah. care who they're, they're playing against. I just don't want to see Michigan win. So to me, that takes you out of the discussion. What America's team is more about is you can't be hated nationally. You have to be good enough to where you're somewhat relevant, but not so relevant that you win every single year. Like Clemson can't be America's team. Clemson's gotten to the point where it's won too much already. It's my one nomination, um, but okay. So <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I went in this direction because these are the teams that I think if the average person flipped them on, they would they would want to root for them because they're they either have a coach that's likable, they're a fun team to watch in terms of the offense that they play. Maybe they'd be a fun team to kind of like break into this this next level of college football. A lot of swag. So, yeah, a lot of swag, a lot of swag. I think Boise State and LSU can stay. I think that, in my opinion, I think LSU nationally, from a national perspective, people would want to go to Death Valley. People like watching LSU. I understand if you're like a Bama fan, you still don't like LSU. But to me, that. They, they have sort of a national brand, especially with Coach O now, where they are an easy team to root for, and I think a whole lot of people were rooting for them to beat UCF last year. Oh, yeah. I, I think LSU could definitely stay. The Boise State thing, see, it's weird, too, because this, this goes in, it's, I don't want to say it's cyclical, but it, it's just how we all are, like, what have, you know, what have you done for me lately type mentality with a lot of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and you, yeah, you can't win too much, because Boise was everyone's, you know, favorite when they played uh, what was I guess was it 2007 Statue of Liberty Oklahoma. play? Yeah, the the Oklahoma Statue of Liberty play, where that was awesome. Everybody enjoyed watching that game, the trick plays, and it was really exciting. But when they became like actual potential contenders for the national title, everyone was like, oh, okay, let's take a step back. First off, right, you enough. got you got dang geese or ducks dying on their field every day because it looks like a lake. And two, they ain't played nobody, Paul. Um, I, I think LSU definitely because they have just they might be like the number one nominee overall. Because when you look at might be. The, the tailgating atmosphere, Death Valley at night, it, it looks like such an awesome, fun, fun environment. And then you also have a guy like Coach O. Um, and they have a little bit of like the, the under underdog role and, and the chip on their shoulder. And they haven't been annoyingly good. Like they haven't been going to the playoff every year, like going to New Year's Six Bowls every single year. Like that was their first New Year's Six Bowl of the playoff era. So like there, there is a little bit of that too and that they wouldn't be a bad team to see like have that breakthrough season. And you can make the case that they had that breakthrough season last year by winning a New Year's Six Bowl, winning double-digit games. Um, the teams that I don't think belong anymore, I realized, so I initially had Wisconsin and Oregon in there. I think that Oregon's getting a little bit too much preseason buzz, and they're a little bit too much, like a little bit almost too top-heavy to to win with somebody like Justin Herbert, who I think people are going to, because he's a preseason top-five quarterback, they're going to look at him and they're going to kind of want him to fail. So there won't be as many people rooting for Oregon, at least not right now, not in 2019, as much. That's kind of my my case with that. And when you're a preseason pick to win your conference, it's – it's maybe a little bit too dominant. I don't know. That's just that's kind of my my take on that. Not as much fun as maybe the the Chip Kelly days when they were still on the rise. That's why I kind of decided to eh, take them off. And then Wisconsin, just the I realized like watching Wisconsin last year, and they obviously had they had a, a really bad year in terms of preseason expectations. It's just not as fun to root for Wisconsin when all they do is just run the ball fifty five times a game and they barely throw it, and it's miserable there when you flip on the game in November. So that 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 would be my I would take those two definitely off and then I would have some different additions for this year. But, I mean, you know, in the same way that Coach O, I don't want to say he drives, like, the 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 discussion for LSU being America's team, but when Brett Bielema 
was at Wisconsin. That's a totally different thing because you have like the fun, awesome environment, great tailgating scene. By the way, are we just not going to discuss that Jonathan Taylor had 2,100 yards rushing last year? That's insane. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a preseason top two, top three Heisman candidate, and there are a lot of people who think he's the best back in America. His problem is he puts the ball on the ground way too much. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the Oregon thing, one, thank you for saying that they shouldn't belong in the discussion. Allie's going to love that as an Oregon State grad. But uh, <laughs> it's weird, too, because they, they were far more exciting. Like, I think we're all over kind of like the novelty of their uniforms are cool, and they have, yeah. you know, like they when they had Dat, like D'Anthony Thomas, who was supposed to be like one of the fastest, most explosive players in the country, and then he gets the combine. I think he ran a 4 5 six, and you're like, oh. Maybe the Pac-12 is just not that great at defense. Uh, I think we've all kind of moved past that with Chip Kelly days. I think they're actually going to be built better for success on a national level now they have a guy like Mario Cristobal um, as their head coach. I, I, I would still include them just because, you know, with the Phil Knight thing and and their broad appeal uh, on a national level, I would probably still include them. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, keeping it in the Pac-12, I have a couple of other – I have three other nominees, two of which are from the Pac-12. Washington State, everybody could root for Mike Leach uh, on a given Saturday when you flip on Pac-12 after dark or something. Mike Leach is an easy person to root for. You want to see more of him. Everybody was hoping that Washington was Washington State was going to get into the playoff just because it would give us even more coverage of, of Mike Leach. And it's also like an easy team nationally because they're, they're historically bad. They just had their first top 10 season oh in God. 15 years. Yeah. And all they do is throw the ball. So they're a really fun team to watch. And for you, Uncle Chris, they're a really fun team to bet on when you can just sit there and bet the over on Washington State. Well, that's, they actually had American a really good right defense there. last year. They had they had one of the better defenses, True. like the top 20 defense in the, defense in the country. It might have actually been top 10. Um, no, but I agree. And again, that's kind of driven from, from the coach with Mike Leach. When you say they've been historically bad, that doesn't even do it justice. Uh, yeah, real bad. And, and, and like, you know, Again, like kind of going off, I guess my my formula would be like game day atmosphere, tailgating the coach, and then like the team in general. They are a lot of fun to pull for. Um, but I didn't realize they only hold thirty three thousand at that stadium. Oh, it's it's rough. It's real rough. But that yeah, game day bad. last year is is the highest turnout they've ever had in the history of college game day. Exactly. Washington State is my my leading candidate, um, and then uh, let's just stay with the Apple Cup. Washington is the other one who I, I think Washington now being far enough removed from the whole Rick Neuheisel days. If you've ever read Scoreboard Baby, you know what I'm talking about. I, yeah, um, I don't know but what you're talking about. You should you should read it. It's very revealing. Um, but I, I think now Washington is a little bit more a little bit more likable in that they are a team that has not been like I said not been annoyingly good. They've had the one playoff appearance three straight years in which they've been to a New Year's Six Bowl and. If you're talking about likable coaches who have fun offenses to watch when they're rolling, I mean, that's Washington to me. And I think that they're a team that probably underrated defensively the last few years, really. I mean, I think they've had a top 20 defense the last three years. But Yeah, and a um, lot of NFL talent, too, like in the secondary and the D-line especially. They'd be a fun team to watch kind of break through and maybe like get to a national championship game. And I think that America would 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 take a liking to a program like Washington that I think Chris Peterson does some really good things. I think that offense it is fun with some of the playmakers that he's had. So yeah. that's that's a, an addition that might not be as popular as Washington State, but still I think would be would be worthy well, of America. I, I think I mean when you talk about drawing like interest like on a national scale, there are gonna be two teams from the like that at least SEC country, because usually you just pull for your own as an SEC fan. But with Eason being at Washington, I yep. think there's going to be a lot of people in the Southeast pulling for, for Washington. And they do have a lot better national appeal uh, than somebody like Washington State. And 
you know, and Peterson's a great coach, like you said. But with Eason, um, I, I think definitely, definitely could be a, a top nominee for this. This next one I really love. Syracuse. So people that look at Syracuse football, they think, all right, this is this is a flash in the pan type thing. Um, a few reasons that Syracuse would work as America's team. One, they have the best chance to upend Clemson this year. If there is a team that is going to be able to take down Clemson and you know prevent Clemson from getting to a playoff, a national championship, it, it's, it feels like it's going to be Syracuse. Now, that's just talking about preseason, looking at their schedule, all that stuff. They look like the second best team in the ACC. I know that's not saying much these days, but... Dino Babers also gives Braveheart-level speeches. If you yeah. see that guy pregame and postgame, you will run through a wall for him. He could lift a nation. I have no doubt oh, in my mind. Lot, that, yeah. yeah, no, Dino Babers is that dude. He is so much fun to watch. And if you listen to him speak, I don't know how you can't like that guy. Um, so that that's an obvious one. And then nobody hates Syracuse football. There's no reason to hate Syracuse football. What are you mad about? Some Donovan McNabb thing that happened 20 years ago? Like... I mean, other than that, really, what what is there that can really upset you about rooting for Syracuse on a given day? Do they have a journalism school that you didn't get into? Maybe I didn't apply there, but maybe I felt like I oh, wouldn't have gotten what? in anyways. Who are you attacking um, that's a different right subject. now? I'm attacking myself. I'm attacking 18-year-old <laughs> Connor. Um, no, but like that's the only thing because it's not like a you know like a school like Northwestern is a little bit tougher to say that's America's team because it's so tough to get into and so many people probably have been rejected by Northwestern, but. Um, Syracuse is, is one that I, I think works on, on a variety of levels, mainly just yeah. Baber. So that, that's kind of the key ingredient there. Well, and, and, and again, playing that underdog role. And maybe America's team, we should say, like, that sounds like so Dallas Cowboy-ish. Like, where every every Saturday you're going to be, like, tuning in, like, pulling for them no matter what. Um, like, no one's going to, like, ride or die with Syracuse. But, like... But it's like it's like watching the Mighty Ducks or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Right? It, you know, I didn't know this until a couple, like, like this past week, but... What scares me about them, because they, I mean, they played Clemson tougher. They beat them two years ago. And then, you know, I thought was gonna, <laughs> we're going to beat them last year. But they only, I think Vegas set their over-under for their season win total at five. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, Syracuse? Yes, at five. No, there's no way. I promise that can't you, be right. It was, it was reported on Instagram via Bairdsley. Um, it is, that, that, like, five. I don't think he would have got it wrong, to be honest. I, I, was, I was shocked, because I, I do think... They've they've been such a a fun team to watch. I, I want to say like, they, one they have cool uniforms. I'll throw that out there. But also being able to play like the ultimate underdog and almost upset not just like you know the top dog in your conference, but like one of the top teams in the country. Well, obviously the top team last year. So they have they have that going for them. I, I'll say this: I think Clemson could still be when you're talking about like broad stroke. Everyone in the country loves them, Clemson, because you know they do. They're the anti-Alabama. Dabo's this fun-loving guy. I mean, give him, give him enough time. He'll say enough stupid stuff to where people are going to be turned off by him. But like, I've told you before, the Clemson environment on game day is my all-time favorite experience I've ever had at any stadium, including the SEC. No offense, guys. Because, I mean, and we've been to a lot of great stadiums. But Clemson, it's, it's just so much fun. They have a DJ in there. They always seem like they're always having fun. Um, and the other one I'll say, and this goes back to what I was, was saying with Eason being at Washington, is... Oklahoma, like they've they've kind of fallen on their face in like on the national level the past two years. Like they lost to Texas, they obviously got beat by an SEC team in the playoffs two years in a row. But we're talk about like an exciting offense, a fun to watch offense, and people don't seem to be bothered by the fact that they just run roughshod over the Big Twelve every single year. Um, but when you combine 
that offense and a young coach like Lincoln Riley and the points they're able to put up and all that kind of stuff, and you have what I think 24-7 Sports recently said is the most likable player in college football with Jalen Hurts, they're going to be every, like a lot of people's favorites. This yeah, year. I like I, I like the Oklahoma discussion. I think I think with Clemson, I think all the points that you made are, are valid. I would say that maybe like 2015 Clemson is more of America's team when they're still kind of yeah. on the rise and they're still a team that's a little bit more rootable. People tend to turn on you if you're considered a dynasty. People love to see dynasties fall. I think that from a national perspective, it might be a little bit different now than it was. But I think that you're right. Like the whole anti-Bama thing, like who can actually, everybody loves the team that can take down the dynasty. And that was, I mean, perceived to be Clemson in 2016 when they finally were able to, to get over that hump and have that type of year. But yeah, I mean, who, who I, we'd love to hear from you all. Like who, who do you think is America's team? Who's worthy of that? Given the criteria that we laid out, um, yeah. What, tell us on our what team from page. outside the SEC are you going to be pulling for most? Exactly. Uh, yeah, outside the SEC is more interesting discussion. I think we could just say that LSU is, is America's team. Um, I like that. From, from, from the SEC. I think that's fair. I know people would, some people would disagree with that, but that's okay. All right. Let's kick it to our interview with Danny Canal that we talked about. You know, we talked about at the top of the show, a lot of things that we get into with him, just kind of why he is the way that he is. Just please, please, please do not fast forward through this. Go in with an open mind, and I think you will realize that like he's he's more than just a Twitter account that likes to annoy people. He is a a, a human being that he we has have a lot feelings. of fun talking to. <laughs> he has feelings. He's a real boy. Um, but no, I, I think that you will you all will enjoy this. Maybe get some new perspective on somebody that has been probably a big part of your 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 Hate. your hatred online. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Uh, so let's go to our interview with Danny Canal. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a long overdue guest. It is Mr. Anti-SEC himself, Danny Cannell. Um, Danny, I, I imagine, you know, you, you talk for a living, you know, you do stuff with CBS Sports, you know, you are on air on, you know, this on air personality do stuff, does stuff all day. But I imagine that coming on an SEC podcast is, is kind of like back in the day when you were about to play Florida, where you just get the juices going. Is, is that a fair comp for you? Oh, 100%. I mean, this is the, the feeling I had <laughs> leading up into this podcast, the last 30 minutes, was almost identical of the bus ride into Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Like, the juices were flowing, and I can just, it was just like yesterday when we were pulling up with the police escort and all these Gator fans flipping me off in their jorts and, you know, screaming obscenities at me exactly the same way. So I am fired up for this. Danny, I mean, you don't. I appreciate that. First off, we haven't. I'm wearing jorts, but I'm, I have not given you the finger at all. So I will say, not, like, not, I've had a couple not of literally. Cha- yeah, exactly, exactly. I've had I've had a couple of chats with you back and forth via text. You're a really nice guy, and so I, I want to convey that to our audience. And and just let's just start off with some easy questions right off the bat. One, do you like puppies? <laughs> Well, first of all, you're making a big assumption that I'm a nice guy just from, from a couple of D, uh, DMs. I'm really True. a prick deep down inside. I mean, it's what obviously <laughs> <laughs> oh, No, but I mean, you fair. know where I think, I, first of all, I love puppies. We have a uh, two-year-old puppy, golden retriever, named Bowden. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I, I just, you know, you have to throw an ode to the greatest coach of all time and Bobby Bowden. Um, so I had to do that. Um, but yes, I love puppies. Here's where I think the disconnect comes. And this is where Twitter 
my wife always tells me, she's like, Twitter is going to get you fired. And I'm like, well, it might have already done that with my former job. But, <laughs> I, but I can't stop because I'm addicted to it. But here's where I think the disconnect is. I, like, and you guys can, I'm sure you can relate to this. Let's say you're at, like, some sort of um, social gathering and you're with your buddies and you've got fans from all over. You've got Gators. You've got Tennessee Vols. You have Florida State Seminoles. Like, if I am in a social setting like that, of course, one of the things that's going to come up is college football, and we're probably going to talk some traps. But you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to throw our beers down and start brawling in the ground. And yet, <laughs> it's because of, because of well, well, maybe if you're somewhere in the SEC country, that might happen. But, like, I feel like the delivery, when I do it in person, people can tell I'm doing it because I love college football, because I think it's fun and I can dish it out, and I can take it. Like, I would fully expect if I was in that situation that a Gator fan would totally trash me and say, well, Florida State, you know, they were awful last year, and you guys don't even belong in the Power Five. Like, I would expect all that coming back my way, but I would be able to laugh about it just the same way where if I delivered flows back to them, we all realize, hey, it's all in good fun. Like, that's my – I love college football. I love talking trash, but I think the problem with me – is that on Twitter, you can't see I'm doing it for fun. So sometimes it comes across really, really nasty. And that's never my intention. Like, I'm never on tilt. I'm never just MFing people while I'm going on Twitter. It's usually, I'm usually needling people because I know how much it bothers them and it irks them. And there is some sort of sick, twisted part of me down below that obviously enjoys that. Or I would have quit Twitter a long time ago. But I, like I said, I'm addicted to it. So, okay, we're going to talk more about your, your Twitter stuff. We're definitely going to get into but that. But I do love but puppies. Just a little... That's your question. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure. I want to make sure. I have, I have a corgi, just so I you know. Bowden's good. Kittens, <laughs> I can't promise you anything. I, I'm not going to say that's I would good. food out for a cat. Yeah, exactly. Get, thank you. We're on the same page with that, Dan. Cats are the worst. <laughs> Go ahead, Connor. So, so just a little backstory here, because you know, like five years ago, you actually did a story with us, which you, you know, you explained in it why you don't hate the SEC, and just like you were saying, you know, it, you you love the needling, and you just believe that the gap was smaller than people realize, and, and that it's your duty to tell people that, and you're you're not shy about that. You tell people about that all the time, and you know, people also don't might not realize that back when you were at ESPN, you know, and it was the Rosillo and Canell show, you used to wear SDS hats on air all the time. So I'm curious if this has ever come up, but when people have called you anti-SEC, which you know I've already done in this interview, that could have been your out right there. You could have been like, yeah, I wear these SDS hats on air all the time. Do you not see like, you know, I'm supporting an SEC website. Have you ever had any interactions with people like that? Usually, so there's two types of interactions that go down on Twitter. One of them usually ends up where either I'm getting blocked or they're getting blocked. And that is not, and I don't block anybody. <laughs> that's where it just, that's where it devolves. It devolves really quickly. And then there's, it's not even trash talk. It just gets insulting. And then it's like, all right, this is a waste of everybody's time. But I would say a large portion of the time, I'll go back and forth with somebody, whether it's, and usually it's in a DM. I don't know why, just for the, some, because my DMs are open. Anybody can hit me up anytime. And if somebody comes at me with something funny that's insulting, I might get back at them. And then when they realize that I'm not this evil villain that they make me out to be and I'm just doing it in fun, then it kind of – I've had several DMs and like, hey, 
Next time I'm in Gainesville or I'm in Knoxville or I'm in Tuscaloosa, maybe not Tuscaloosa. We won't try the long that. We won't go that far. <laughs> but usually, usually it's, hey, let's grab a beer. Love to meet you. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is the good part of Twitter. But I absolutely, like, when they see the love for SES and they see some of the gear there, I've always maintained this. And you have never heard any other words come out of my mouth. SEC fans are the best football fans in the country from top to bottom. Yes, you see schools like Clemson, like Ohio State, you know, like some schools in the Big Ten, or there's Oklahoma, Texas. There are fan bases that can rival anybody in the SEC. But show me any other conference that you can go to on a Saturday and you can watch their eighth and ninth place teams playing in November and that the tailgating scene is insane, that there's going to be an electric atmosphere at kickoff, and everybody's going to be having a good time. You just don't see that in other conferences from top to bottom. It's, that's, that's why I love it. And like, to be honest with you, I mean, SEC fans have kept me in business, like just from a talking yeah. standpoint, because it's awesome. And their passion is unparalleled, which is awesome. Well, I think that's all we need. I think we could just yeah, finish the interview. That's up. the clip. That's right. we'll wrap it up. <laughs> right. Call it a day. Hey, I need some fresh. <laughs> no. I need some fresh SDS gear for my for so I can keep this thing going. You know, that's true. <laughs> we, we can make that. Plus, happen. you guys we can make that happen. for real. Real talk. You guys do have some of the best gear out there. Like those lids are sick. The ones that you guys started the company with. You guys have a great logo. It's very cool. It's clean. I love the trucker hats. Like you guys do a fantastic job. For real. I'm not just. Kidding I brought you here. one in Santa Clara. I had, I had one for you. That was from my own personal collection. I was ready to give you in Santa Clara. I'm, I'm glad that we weren't able to meet up after the way that game ended, but still. <laughs> right? Because you better damn sure believe I would let you hear about it. <laughs> but we oh. haven't talked any football yet. So we, while everybody's chummy we, right now, we can, we can start getting into it if you want to. It's coming. So, yeah. Oh, it's, it's coming. But, but first, I wanted to get into your most recent SEC beef because it's actually not football related at all. It was baseball related. Um, yeah. You, sir, you you called out our best friend, Peter Burns, and you, you called him basically every SEC fan embodied in one person. And that was while you're rooting against Vandy to win the College World Series. So just so we're clear, and because we are a pro Peter Burns podcast here, um, my question is very simple. Uh, how dare you? Well, just to be sure, if you are pro Peter Burns, I am 1,000% to borrow a line from his tweet where he talked about Vanderbilt baseball. I am 1,000% anti Peter Burns. All right. Let's just get that out of the way. Oh, man. Anybody. So the reason I said he embodies it, where did Peter Burns go to school? Did he go? Did he actually attend Vanderbilt? I don't, I don't think he did. I'll have to double check his. I'll have to look and see if he's got it. But I guarantee you he's got one of those belts that has every school on it around there so you can flip it around <laughs> to whatever team is winning that year. And so that's what those drives me nuts. I, I, those are the worst. And you know what else are the worst? SEC fans who root for teams that aren't their own. But it is unique, and it is what makes them some of the best fans. Actually, no, it doesn't. That is the worst part about being an SEC fan <laughs> oh, is when you jump on the bandwagon of another school that is not your own. I just – I'll never – be able to fathom that ever in a hundred years but since you brought up baseball we could talk about florida state's run to get to the world series because if florida state played if florida state played in the sec maybe they would have had a higher seating since they probably would have finished first or second in the conference after they blew through athens blew through baton rouge on their way to omaha just a little side note 
Okay, well, that, that's yeah. I'm gonna throw that's, Connor under the bus on that one. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But you talk about getting on the bandwagon, Danny. The the Clemson bandwagon. You have been the, the conductor on that bandwagon. I'm just gonna say. Uh, I would not say I give. So I've been accused of many things. I've been accused of being the UCF uh, bandwagon leader, which I have yep. been at times. I have that one been hurt the most. lately. That one did. That one did because that one does uh, <laughs> the most truth in it. Um, Clemson, I will say this. I am going to give credit where credit is due. I'm not cheering for Clemson. That's the difference. I don't cheer for Clemson, but if they give me ammunition to fire back at all these SEC trolls, then you better believe I'm going to use it. That's fair. I, I feel so as like the person that runs SDS social media. I feel so personally attacked right now, but but with good reason. Like these are all very valid points. Let's switch gears a little bit to actual football talk. So like something that's a pretty simple thing to hate on the SEC for is its lack of quarterback development, especially at the next level. So why do you think the SEC has struggled so much to produce a top tier quarterback or top tier quarterbacks in general? And do you think that changes at all this year? I think. It is. I mean, obviously, they've had their share of guys that have made it in the NFL that have been good, that have translated, and they're all going to jump on the Peyton and Eli Manning train, right? Like, those are the two biggest names to come out of the SEC. I do think it's cyclical like anything else. Um, I think for a long time, and I think this is rapidly changing within the SEC, is that if you were a quarterback coming out of high school the last 15 years and you wanted to play in a – current, modern, air it out, put up statistics type of offense, you were going to look outside of the SEC because most, for the most part, and this is, again, probably 10 years ago, you saw SEC schools running traditional power, like Alabama is the great example. You know, we're going to run it, we're going to run it, we're going to do a little play action, don't turn it over, and, oh, by the way, you're probably going to get killed while you try to do throw it because the defenses we play against are really good. So I think you've seen a lot of quarterbacks uh, the four- and five-star recruits go in different directions because they wanted to play in a pro-style system that was, or they were going to play in a system where they were going to put up massive numbers. Now, as we've seen, and this is give Bama a lot of credit for this, they've evolved their offense where now they're starting to attract more and four, four- and five-stars, guys like Tua, that are actually putting up phenomenal numbers. And you're seeing other schools within the SEC do the same thing so I think that will change. I mean, Jake Fromm is going to be a really interesting case study to see where he goes, where he gets drafted. I think he's going to be a top 15 pick, um, but we've been in this case, in this position before where you've got a guy who was an outstanding college quarterback, and then when he gets to the combine and he gets picked apart and they compare his arm to everybody else, he kind of falls uh, because he was a product of the system. That we've right. seen that happen before. I don't. I love Jake Crom. I think he, I love his intangibles. I love his arm strength. But you just don't know how it translates until he actually gets into that cauldron of the NFL pre-draft fire that he's about to face in uh, about eight months. Good word. Well, you want more? No, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I just love the fact that you said cauldron. That was good. That was cauldron. <laughs> Dang. No, but like there's there's something to be said for that. And I and I think that, you know, you bring up a good point about, you know, looking around the conference and looking at defenses and just being like, why would I want to go up against that? And, you know, we've seen great quarterbacks that are from the blueprint of the SEC who have left. And somebody like Deshaun Watson, somebody like Jameis Winston, Trevor Lawrence last year, who have been these guys who maybe have grown up in the heart of SEC country, but they look around, they're like, hey, what, what do I need to put myself through this for? I mean, if you were going back through the process, though, 
is that still how you would approach it? I mean, is that still a fair thing to say in 2019 where, you know, even if you look at a place like Bama, like now Bama's running this offense, this Lane Kiffin-inspired offense where it's it's aired out, it's up-tempo, it's open. You know, LSU is switching to this up-tempo, no-huddle offense. Like all these teams that have been a little bit more traditional with their offensive approach, do you look at that now and say, you know what, maybe the time has changed and maybe the SEC, the, the quarterback pendulum is going to swing back the other way? I do. I mean, let's be honest, though. It's not the Big 12 where everybody's just throwing for 4,000 yards a season just yet. You know what I mean? But here's where I think you'd right. be crazy. If you were a four- or five-star recruit, I think you would be crazy to pass up on Bama strictly because you'd have better talent around you every single game. Mm-hmm. And that's where I thought last year I had a lot of Bama fans that were upset with me because I said Kyler Murray deserved the Heisman because he was doing it with less around him. And then, of course, the pushback was, well, he's not facing any defenses, which I totally agree. But, again, it's similar to Jake Fromm. When you evaluate Tua from an NFL perspective, it's really hard because he had a really clean pocket most of the time. He had guys that were running wide open most of the time. And the games that he didn't, he either got hurt or his play um, was impacted. And that's – like, if you're evaluating quarterbacks for the next level, I want to put them on and say, all right, what are their worst games and why did they not play well? Right. And that's what I would have done with Bama. But from a from a perspective of how they're evolving, absolutely the, the SEC is evolving as far as offenses go, where I think players will be less scared of the offenses. And But I do think the defense is a major concern. And it's, it is, man. The defenses there are nasty, especially a defensive line you better be durable and you better be able to run around or else you will get killed. <laughs> so we've, we've both said before on, on this podcast that we, we respect what you do, but here's here's the part of like the, the, the SEC trolling, we're going to get back to that, that, that I don't necessarily understand because your, your mentions are a nightmare. I mean, I was looking at some of them last night and I was just like, oh my gosh, like to open my phone and have to deal with this, it would suck. <laughs> and usually people who get mentions like that, they, they don't want to look at them. So my, my question is kind of like we've talked about why you like, you know, needling SEC fans because they have such a passionate response. But like where, where did that whole thing start and what makes you still want to open your phone and see all of those comments? So, for instance, so here's where it happens. And again, this is probably some of the trash talking competitive nature of me where a lot of times when I'll send a tweet and it's, you know, random some night and, you know, be like, why is he trolling the SEC? It's because something transpired where all of a sudden my timeline gets hit up from something that was said, whether it was Feinbaum, whether it was Peter Burns. And then I'll go ahead and I'll come back and probably try to eviscerate that person, just like the the (laughs) Peter Burns situation, you know? And then, like, so then I'm also, I, I, I am getting to a point, and I haven't had it yet with football by just yet. Now, I've had it with some of the concussion stuff. I had a rough uh, month last month ago when I had a marijuana take that did not go over well amongst the youngsters that was out there. And that's like when it gets so nasty, it does start to wear on you where my wife will actually be able to tell. And I'm I'm usually a positive person. I'm usually happy. I'm upbeat. I'm always around my kids. Like I'm usually in a good mood. And my wife will be like, what is going on? Did you get fired or did somebody, you know, and it's usually they do wear on you, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. When it's not, oh, you know, it's fun. And again, like there's a difference. There's fun trash talk. Like even you right. can tell me you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. But it crosses a line when it just gets so insulting where it can wear on you. And I get like and some people take pride in that. 
and you know, I mean, I if I had a if I had a nickel for every time somebody came back with the comeback of, oh, this is why you got fired from ESPN, or no wonder you got fired from ESPN, and that one doesn't even bother me. But it's just like, really, that's where you're gonna go, like getting fired, and the only like I don't know how to come back to that. Do I come back and say, well, you should see how much money I'm making now? Should I come right. back and say how Ooh. many jobs have you lost? You know, or it's just there's a no-win situation in that one, and so then it's not fun. Like I don't want to, I don't want to come back at somebody and re. Although I have, I have done deep dives on people's boards and gone and found old mentions like of their own. <laughs> I love and I'm talking people with, I'm talking people with 70 followers. Like I'll go find something <laughs> they said that was really dumb, but like that is so petty of me. But it is, I don't want to let it go, and that's where I find myself going sometimes, and that's that's where you go in a dark place, and like. I, you know, Joe Rogan is one of the best podcasters of the game. You guys, I'm sure, are familiar with him. He yeah. said, and oh, he yeah. obviously has 3 million followers and 3 million downloads. He said it got so bad that he just won't even pay attention to his mentions. And I don't want to do that because I actually like interacting with people sometimes. You know, like I like, even if it starts off negative, I actually can usually learn a lot. Like sometimes I'll make an outlandish comment knowingly. And somebody will come back and be like, well, that can't be true. And they'll give me some stats that I can actually use to make me a better broadcaster. And I appreciate that back and forth. And I have no problem admitting I'm wrong. Like, if I was wrong on a team and say, you know what, I was an awful prediction, I have no problem saying that. You know, like, and a lot of people don't. That's where I feel like, you know, if, if I could just get past that initial wave of vitriol, we'd all be better off. But I totally understand where it goes because sometimes I'm pushing those buttons and I get what I deserve wholeheartedly. Man, Connor, I'm just going to say this to both of you. I've never related with a guest more than right now. As cuz like cuz like Danny, I don't know like I don't I don't know you as like we don't know each other as well, but like I run the social media for the most part for SDS. And yes, everything you're saying is 100% right. I've I've done deep dives on strangers that have 70 followers. I'm I'm right there with you. I I think the self-awareness and like the self-control and my fiance all the time is just like are you upset? Like, is it like a thing to actually be upset about? Or are you mad at the internet again? I'm like, I'm mad at the internet again. That's pretty much <laughs> right, it. Right, exactly. And there's not even a face. There's not even a face. Right. It. But here's here's a perfect example. This is, you guys, what was the Instagram? You go, oh, it was Fine Bomb's quote Ooh, that about was me. ATC yeah. being trash. Yeah, so you put that out Wait. there. So I, of course, know you guys are playing to your fan base. So I right. can't wait to put a, I can't wait to, to poke a little bit at your fan base. So I had to put a comment out there. Then I get <laughs> oh, lit I saw up, it. you know, which I, I fully expected to get lit up in return. I totally expected that. But here's where here's another one where it where it crosses the line. And I'm a little bit nervous because I think people are going to take this and use it as how to get underneath my skin. All of a sudden, if okay. I thought the ESPN firing mentions were bad, wait till I get it after this podcast. But you want to know a really weird one? And this is one where I don't even mess around. I'll just block them. When... Something I'll say either on TV or the radio will set somebody off and they'll go to my Instagram page and it's a picture of me with like my daughters on the golf course, oh, like yeah. smiling on Father's Day. And there's a mention in there like you suck. like <laughs> you, you know, you're the worst yeah. broadcaster. And I hope, you know, somebody your daughters like it does go there. It gets that nasty. Whoa, that's... And that's that's where I don't even mess around. Like I'm just I just straight block people like that. And I don't block anybody, but if you mess with my family or you say something that's right. just completely absurd, then I just don't even waste time with it anymore. And that is that is where it crosses the line. Like, and, and you know, honestly, because it's what's weird about that too is like when the way I know that you're like 
I don't want to say it's like an act by any means because I know, like you're you're good at what you do and, and you know what you're talking about for the most part and, and a lot of the times that we we get in those arguments it's because like on social media it's like oh because this person just poked a hole in something that I like with probably something with some some validity behind it but like when you look at right. your social media it's like there's this happy dude playing golf and doing stuff with his family and and all these other things like that's that's kind of like where you I I would figure like oh he he's doesn't mean to be a dick on Twitter he's a good person so it, it does good but I, like so I do have I do have a lot of self awareness though that I do know yeah. and this is one of the, like my greatest flaws is I do come across like a dick on social media so how do I change it do I change it like I don't care that much like and I've thought about like should I just go all positive all the time like go for this complete one eighty where Hey, you know, Bama looked great today. And, you know, even though Florida <laughs> lost by three touchdowns, yes, do it. did you see how great Felipe Franks looked? Like, do you want to do that or do you want to give honest assessment? Because, and that's where, again, I made my own bed. I have to sleep in it. Where sometimes I give valid criticism. Other times it's a snarky comment to get a reaction. And I have to deal with that. Like, that's, that's on me. But I do. Like, my, the guys that I work with, they'll come see me and they'll see me, like, just you know the Kermit gif where he's at the typewriter and his arms right. are just flailing all over the place? I'll be like that on my computer, and they'll be like, uh-oh, you're on Twitter again, aren't you? Like, you're having this out with people. And I'm like, yes. And that's one thing I haven't had to do it in a long time. That's why I can't wait for college football, because I don't get in that mode too often. And I desperately need that kind of fix in my veins quickly. Yes. <laughs> so the interactions that you have with with trolls are, you know, people online that are, you know, you throw something out there and obviously like you're just poking a little bit and then somebody comes back over the top with something that's just below the belt. I, I imagine your interactions with SEC players or coaches are, are just a little bit different. What's the most memorable interaction that you've had with an SEC player or an SEC coach based on something that you that you said that maybe they called you out for, or they pulled you aside and they're like, hey, like, what in the world are you talking about? So I would say for the most part, and I haven't done as much SEC stuff as I used to. Like when I was at ESPN, we used to do the college bus tour. So we were at Alabama. We were at Auburn. We were, you know, we were at wherever SEC country we're in. And the guys usually would be like, oh, I know who you are. Like, just give me a little bit. And then like once they saw that I could be a professional and ask them educated questions and not take those pot shots, then I would, you know, have an, a, a, a wonderful experience, right? The, S, the SIDs would always give me a hard time. But then they realized, hey, he's not going to make us look bad. He's going to do his job. Then we were fine with it. Um, so one of the best I've, – like, I've developed some pretty good relationships with guys across the board. Um, Christian Miller at uh, Alabama, who's – who did he get drafted by? I forget where he got drafted by. The Panthers. I was trying to look that up. The Panthers. So I actually played with his dad, Corey Miller, who does radio in South Carolina. And his dad used to wear me out, like on, and he still does, actually. Uh, but I was doing some stuff the last two years at the playoffs, and I would talk. And actually, so the, the, it goes back to Jim Furyk's golf tournament, celebrity golf tournament. And I ran into Corey Miller, who plays in it every single year, and he was giving me crap like he always does. And then I saw Christian Miller was there the last year we did it. So I went up to him, and we were talking, and he kind of rolled his eyes. He was like, oh, I know exactly who you are. But then, like, we hit it off, and we started talking about, SEC football and what it's like playing for Saban and what, you know, what goes on behind the scenes and is he really fun and stuff like that. But the one experience that I won't forget is I don't think, you know, who I don't think any of my trollings who they think is very funny at all 
is one Nick Saban. So I do radio. <laughs> no I do way. Radio. <laughs> so I do radio for um, uh, Mad Dog, for Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio, every day, one to three. That's my plug with uh, Steve Torrey. So it was like a slow summer month. It was probably about a year ago. And our producer said, oh, I'm going to reach out to various SEC coaches. College, he didn't say SEC. It's college football coaches. See if we can get any of these coaches to join the show. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, so you get uh, – he reached out to Dabo and a couple other names, Willie Taggart, Mark Rick, like just some of the bigger names in sports. So he texts me back, and he's like, you're not going to believe what Saban's people said. And I said, oh, really? I said, what was that? So he got a text from the sports, uh, the sports information director at, at Alabama. And it, it was like, sorry – Nick Saban will not be coming on Danny Cannell's show anytime soon um, <laughs> due to his incessant, um, irresponsible criticism, unwarranted criticism of the SEC. And then the kicker, maybe you should try to book an ACC coach. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Wow. I don't right. know why you had to say kicker when you brought it. that story up, Danny. so you know who i wanted to book the next day on the show because i have good relationships with most of them i wanted to book gus malzahn i wanted to get (laughs) bo jackson i wanted to get charles barkley and just do an all auburn show like two hours straight Auburn. promote the hell out yeah frank Thomas. just promote the hell out of auburn day but i didn't do it because i'm not petty i'm not that petty anyway (laughs) no not petty at all yeah that's fair no not petty at all so speaking of that, like I brought this up earlier. Like I, I first contacted you out in Santa Clara this January, trying to be on the podcast. And, and again, in hindsight, I'm so incredibly very glad that that interview fell through um, after the national championship <laughs> game. So I, this is I don't like this is it's still painful, you know, to, for me to talk about. But what was your biggest takeaway from that game, and how do you see that game playing out this year if Clemson and Bama meet again for the fifth straight year? Well, personally, I felt vindicated because (laughs) I was saying from a very early point last season, pretty much when Clemson switched to Trevor Lawrence, I was trying to tell people Clemson is just as good. And early on, I got looked at sideways like, oh, you're just being an ACC homer. And again, this is the dynamic, the world I live in, because sometimes I'm snarky. People don't take it seriously. Again, that's like my own fault. But I really believed Clemson was just as good as Bama. And yet, if you tell that to a Bama fan, you think I would say Nick Saban was a 10th best coach in college football this year. Like, you just, right. they do not take that sort of criticism. It wasn't even criticism. I was stating facts. Um, so people said, oh, you're just being ACC positive, you know, just pro ACC, which I'm not. Like, I have no problem throwing the ACC under the bus. But I do feel like a team like Clemson last year deserved to be there, deserved to be in the competi- uh, conversation, and was just as good. And then, of course, the way things played out, it got sideways. You saw uh, Clemson's offense when, with Trevor Lawrence fully on, you know, 100% where he is clicking on all cylinders. You saw what a top-caliber offense could do to an Alabama defense, and then you saw them defense- defensively totally manhandle them. I do yeah. think, and I, I hate this, but I do think we are probably going to see yet another Bama-Clemson matchup. I can almost guarantee you Clemson will be back to the playoff. Bama, I wouldn't say it with quite as much certainty, but if you had me bet one of my children on it, I would say Bama's going to be back. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't love that. Like, I, I am, again, it has nothing to do with Bama. It has nothing to do with Clemson. I would love for both of them to be knocked off and see it. Oklahoma versus USC. Like, I would love to see two totally new powers. Why did I say Oklahoma? 
Texas, and USC. Give me two teams that have never been in the playoffs. Like, I think that's better and more healthy for college football than to see the same two teams play again for, what is it, a fifth time that we would see these two teams play? Like, I want to see new players at the table. Now, I get it. Like, some people love it. You want the best of the best to play every year. Yes, there is a part of me that says that. But I would love for somebody else to earn that spot and to knock off these teams. That has nothing to do with Clemson or Bama. I just, I'm a fan of rooting for underdogs and seeing new players get a seat at the table. So, Danny, we've got two. I missed missed an opportunity (laughs) there. I should have said UCF. (laughs) We'll cut that, producer. We'll cut that. We'll bleep (laughs) that part out. We we got two games that we want to get you out on real quick. Um, This game is called uh, Let's Go Back and Find Danny's Best Anti-SEC Tweets. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read each one of them to you, and you're going to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10 turtlenecks. One turtleneck would make it just a horrendous tweet. Ten turtlenecks is something that you'd retweet the next day because you're kind of feeling yourself, and you're like, oh, that was a really good tweet. Does that work okay. for you? That works great. Right. So after the SEC had the most draft picks for the 13th year in a row this okay. year, uh, you tweeted, all them picks and the ACC still whoop that ass in the title. Ought to be ashamed instead of tweeting out some meaningless number of draft picks. Now keep in mind that was after you were live tweeting the first round and keeping yeah. a running tally of the ACC picks. <laughs> back and to the forth, SEC's. that was me and you, Danny. So That's one right. to ten turtlenecks. How many? Forth. How many do you give that? I think that is a nine point five turtlenecks. That's like the old school when turtlenecks were cool, like James Dean. Paul Newman Ooh. wearing turtleneck type of tweet uh, when they're actually like some of these icon style icons were wearing them because first of all, you got to eliminate the first half. You got to be, we got to be willing to, to adjust on the fly. Like if things turn in a hurry, which they did in the draft. See, I was done promoting the, Hey, the most talented at the top half of the draft. And that's why the ACC is still there. We had moved past that point of trolling onto the point of draft picks are overrated because it is right. one of my <laughs> least, it is one of my least favorite metrics to determine what the best conference is because the best team on the field, the best talent doesn't always win because if you did it by the eye test or who did that, we would have Alabama would have the last 10 national championships, right? Upsets happen because there are two, because there are two (laughs) extra draft picks on each team that are drafted in the sixth or seventh round that are probably not going to make the roster anyway. That's the way you judge it because you're bottom filling the draft. That to me makes no sense whatsoever. All right, so I along those same lines, right there. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after Clemson won the title this past year, which you obviously really, really enjoyed, um, you tweeted, "How many times has Clemson beaten Alabama for the title?" And then it was Deshaun Watson holding up the number two. Now keep in mind, you conveniently left, you conveniently made it a title stat. And you left out the part the part about Alabama dominating Clemson in the 2017 Sugar Bowl, but I'm sure that was an honest mistake from you. So how many turtlenecks does that get? As you mentioned, because it was an honest mistake, then I put it at seven. <laughs> Not quite as much heat, but okay. I would say I backed it up because I know we don't have enough time to go through them all. But if and I actually threw out the warning. I said, if you're an SEC fan, you better block me right now because I'm getting ready to go off on one <laughs> yep. of those Kermit the Frog tirades. I did not hold back and brought the fury. Like, it was uh, like Daenerys on the dragons. Like, I just brought the heat nice. on that one and just, just threw flames at everybody with that, uh, that beatdown in the national championship game. I couldn't resist. So, all right. So, speaking of national championship 2017, um, while wearing a UCF national championship sweatshirt, <laughs> you, sa- you said – 
repping the one true champion at the College Football Invitational. Congrats, UCF football. Hashtag UCF. Hashtag undefeated. And that was before, of course, two SEC teams played for the real national championship. How many turtlenecks does that get? I would say that one's only three. That falls okay, along okay. the lines of like the Uncle Eddie turtleneck, like the super nerdy one that like nobody wants <laughs> yep. to wear and you look awful. That's only three ugly turtlenecks. That was just a blatant troll job. But I will say this. My whole reason for backing UCF was in the hopes of getting change in college football. And if it's Houston, Cincinnati, Boise State, some uh, Appalachian State, if it's another non-Power 5 team that I can use to promote the message of getting us eight teams in the college football playoff, I will hop on their bandwagon as well. But that was definitely a weaker uh, three-and-a-half turtleneck tweet for sure. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. we got so- one last thing here, and, and Connor's going to MC it, but this is, this is an idea we had. I'm so glad we get to do this because now, now, now my fiance is going to understand who I've been talking about. When I'm like, damn it, Canell's at it again on Twitter, <laughs> and she's going to know. <laughs> she, she, the the NFL drafting, she remembers that night. I'm pretty sure she walked out of the room after we were going back and forth. But so we, I, I want to do a roast battle with you, SEC versus ACC. But it's a little, little bit of a, a different kind of roast battle. It's going to be a say something nice roast battle. Okay. So yeah, five seconds to answer each thing, and I'm gonna give. You, so I'll give you one thing, and then you got to say something, and then I'll I'll kick it to Marlon, and you guys will go back and forth. So this this will make sense, and the format will be. It's basically gonna force you to say a couple couple of nice things because, as we said, you're a positive guy, yeah. and we want that to come off. Absolutely. Okay. So the first one for you, and you have five seconds to answer. Say a nice thing about SDS. About who? About SDS. Oh, SDS, your guys' website. Uh, I've, I've said this a number of times, and I think it was on when there was one of the days was like saying something nice in five words or less, and I go, you guys have sweet gear. I think I actually tweeted that out. You guys, you guys have the best gear in the game. Like, go go buy some merch. I mean, by the way, I should get a percentage of this. You should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Marler, to you. Now you have to say something nice about our guest, Danny Cannell. Uh, super witty. Super funny, and also all the cracks and the foundation for me emotionally come from, again, points of validity from him, so he knows what he's talking about. And, and a hell of a dresser. There Very we true. go. Boom. Very this true. is like a love fest. I like this. I thought it was going to be more smart. All right, Danny. <laughs> Danny, your turn. Alabama. Uh, Alabama has – they are the new Florida State. Oh, they are the so, – There, <laughs> of course. So the way the way that Florida State dominated the '90s is what Bama is today. They learned from the best. They built a similar model that Bobby Bowden did, and they took it over to the next level. If only we had had two chances to win every year and had a I'm had so a hurt no matter right what now. how many games we lost. <laughs> so there it is. There it is. All right, Marler, Clemson. That was a compliment. Um, Clemson, <laughs> a great great head coach. Um, came from a great school. Not a great name. But definitely a great alma mater, I'll say that. And it, it's a fun atmosphere, too. They play a lot of good music. All right. That was surprisingly oh, can we nice, clear it up? Still, can, we clear, can we clear something up real quick? I got a few extra minutes. We can go a little bit longer for this. this let's is do fun. this. Can we clear All it right, up? let's do it. When Clemson gets trolled for running on the field after games because they beat whoever. They it do it every not- game. Thank you. But nobody gets that. All, this, all these SEC fans will be like, oh, see? Clemson, they're overreacting like they've never been there. It is actually one of the best traditions because yeah. half of the crowd is kids, and they stay there for like an hour and just play football yeah. on the field after the game. 
had to clear that up for uh, for Clemson fans. My rep, my ACC base. Danny had to just throw in the little nice thing with Clemson. Like the nice roast wasn't good enough on Marlowe's right. side. He's like he had to come over <laughs> right. the top with some more nice. I picked Clemson stuff. to win the national championship. I think. I mean, just throwing that out there. True. That's All true. Right, good. That's true. All right, Danny, back to you, Georgia. Georgia has the best looking women in the SEC on campus. Ooh, that's fair. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, that is that is a that very was something nice very complimentary, yeah. right? Yeah, that was I mean, just an no actual Florida. compliment. No, what the hell? They're no, no Florida State, but I mean, still really good looking. That is true. <laughs> and there it is. All right, Marler, North Carolina. Ooh, uh, North Carolina has uh, great academic programs for athletes to ensure their success. <laughs> very good, very good programs there for that. A lot of good classes, a lot of real classes yeah. there at North Carolina. Yes, that's true. Great point. Great curricular. Yeah, all that stuff. Okay. That was close. That was a close one there. Yeah. Um, all right, Danny, this one's going to hit really close to home. Florida. Uh, I mean, what else can you say about Florida except they started a trend which has become an international phenomenon known as jorts. Like, it's the go-to, fallback, easy compliment <laughs> for the Florida Gators, right? <laughs> that is beautiful. Hey, I jorts. mean, everybody that didn't get into Florida State has to go to a, has to have a place to go to, and Florida <laughs> welcomes them with open arms. <laughs> Oh, God. Twitter Danny is coming out in, in the fullest on the last few minutes of this. This is great. These are compliments. Um, these are compliments in a way. Not really. Um, all right, Marler. Wake Forest. Ooh. Uh, Wake Forest oh. is like fake Vanderbilt, and I'm pretty sure a bunch of my family got addicted to cigarettes named after the town they're in, Winston-Salem. So that's <laughs> that's good, right? That is that's solid. That's, that's solid. solid. Hi, there. No, Thank good. you. All right. Danny, last one for you. Texas A&M. Oh, hey, where else can you go and get the same results and yet pay twice for it? Because <laughs> that's what you got with Kendall oh. Fisher. <laughs> that, that was not nice. Easy. Now, wait. Now, you guys good. can't cut that right there. You have to hear the laughter. No, no, that's that saying. having fun. <laughs> or else it's going to get back to Jimbo, and then I'm going to be there. But seriously, did you see their win total from Vegas this year? I think it's pegged at seven and a half. Can you imagine yeah. if they go eight and four, like, and they fired Kevin Sumlin for doing that every single year? Just a side note. Sorry to get serious. No, that's good. Ooh. That's yeah. actually, uh, yeah, we probably haven't made enough of, about that. But we're going to end Marler here on something that, Danny, you should get some joy out of this. Marler, your last one is Florida State. Oh, that's a... Uh... Oh, okay. Uh, they're the only team I've ever seen score more points um, on lesser competition besides the U.S. women's soccer team. Oh, that was such <laughs> a low blow. Such no, low no, that's blow. good. That's let how we bonded, DK. You. That's good. Let me, just, let me just remind you that our non-conference schedule when I was there, and it still holds up to this day most of the time, was Florida, Miami, and Notre Dame. Like, that was a pretty good gauntlet. That was before Miami yeah, was in the ACC. Is... And then we had to go through the – I mean, that was when Maryland was still in the ACC, and they were pretty damn good at the time. Wake was a juggernaut. Duke was up in – Duke was a top 25 <laughs> team when we played them uh, at times. And if you would ask Bobby Bowden every time before we played those teams, you would have thought they were national champions the way he hyped them up for sure. Oh, I'm sure. And also, that was, a, that was peak target on your back, Florida State. Like, oh, yeah. and, and you always had some miserable Thursday night game. I, I remember the, 
I, I don't know if I think you might have been there, so I'm sorry to bring it up. But I remember the Florida or the I'm sorry, the Virginia game in '95 with Tiki Barber, where it was like, oh, you think I was there? You know, the you greatest. Think I was there. I <laughs> I was definitely there. I had three interceptions that cost us the game. Of course, I remember I was there. I, I didn't want to end. But... <laughs> I didn't want to end the interview like that. That's my bad. That's my bad. No, that's okay, because Warren was in. If we had replay, we would have been going to the national championship game because he was across the goal line on the last play. Not that you remember that at all. Uh, that's <laughs> no, totally not that it still, not not that sure. it still doesn't hurt. Not that it still doesn't hurt either. <laughs> oh, that was great. Danny, I, I, we appreciate you coming on. I think we, we cleared the air on a lot of a lot of SEC talk. So now whenever you're, you, know, you throw an SEC jab out there, our listeners will know. They're going to be like in on the joke, and they can poke at you, but they're going to know, okay, Danny is going to go into your followers, and he's going to see that you only have 70 yeah. people following you. Get he's going to pick out something in your background, <laughs> and you're going to get attacked right back. So hopefully this will well, now they know like my set of Now they know my weaknesses, too, so I could be in big trouble. Like, if I thought it no, was I, bad I before, will defend your honor from down. now on. There we go. All right, I'll count on it. Hey, let's do this again <laughs> during football season, too. Yeah, absolutely, yes, man. Absolutely. We will definitely have you on. I'm sure we didn't even hey, I didn't even say one negative thing about Willie Taggart. So oh, props yeah, to me right. for that. I'm glad that you we didn't have to go there today. I'm sure we'll have plenty of like time I during said. the season to talk about Willie Taggart. <laughs> like I said, have me back on when the season starts and we'll see how that's going. <laughs> Excellent. Danny, like we appreciate plan, it. We'll we'll do it again real soon. Awesome. Great catching up with you guys. All right, thanks, thanks man. Thank you again to, to Danny for, for coming on. We're, we're definitely going to have to bring him on, I don't know, after the first Florida State loss to a group of five team, something like that. Yeah, if they play Sanford again, we'll just do like a, a, I don't know, maybe a live watch party on Facebook. Ooh, that'd be good. That'd be really good. We could just like go follow him for the game and just kind of get live reactions. <laughs> Remember like SEC Championship where like I was doing videos in between getting your live reactions of like oh, all those Georgia touchdowns really. We'll just do the same thing with Danny Canal watching Florida State lose to Sanford. I feel like he honestly would have a better reaction uh, for most of it than I did that day. Your reactions were great. I don't know what you're talking about. Those, were, those were priceless. Uh, let's kick it to a very patriotic edition of Fourth and Wrong. That's right. Fourth of July, Fourth and Wrong. Each week we do, uh, let's see here, I guess four questions that you guys submit online. These are all from the Facebook group. So want to give another shout out. If you haven't already joined it, please go join the STS Podcast Facebook group. Uh, do it. We... we um, have a lot of a lot of arguments. I would say conversation, but it's it's arguments on there. Um, good discussion a lot of times, and so make sure you are are in the uh, Facebook group because we have giveaways, all sorts of fun stuff in there. Uh, I do want to give a shout out real quick to the founding members. In honor of the founding fathers, weekend for July Fourth, the Sunday ah, weekend. I see what you did there. Yeah, um, I didn't realize this. There's like a, a special little note of distinction. Some of our our members in the Facebook group. These are the twelve. Founding members who, uh, as Facebook put it, the people that helped build the group by sharing it, inviting people, and or writing posts when it was new. So thank you. I'm not sure why neither of us were included in that, but um, Tanner Stars, which is the best name out of anybody in the group, especially for this week. Gerald Markham, Clark Barrage, Thomas O'Neill, Roy, Teresa, Register, Jurgen, Jurgens, Jurgen, I don't know, Steve Trammell, Robbie McCullough, Mike Ames, Kevin Dent, Dakota Carter, Bobby Burchens, and Casey Hampton. Thank you so much for helping us get this thing off the ground. Really appreciate it. Also, on a side note, a lot of you know, um, a lot of you reached out, uh, honestly, because we're just not just in the, the Facebook group, but also friends on Facebook. Uh, the reason we missed last week is because I was in Portland for my fiance's father's funeral, and uh, a lot of you had a lot of nice, kind words to say. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, so there's that. Are you ready for the questions? 
Let's do it. Okay. So the first question, what is the best piece of American flag clothing you've ever seen? Daniel Scott Pearson. The basic one is the American flag bandana that just kind of encompasses everything. The best though, I think if you're rocking an American flag blazer, you've gone oh, above and beyond. That's fair. Like a, I've seen like the full American flag suit. That, that, that to me shows that you didn't just buy a t-shirt, you didn't just buy a bathing suit, you yeah. didn't just buy a tank. To, to buy a full American flag suit, respect. That's something that I, I, I strive to get to those levels of patriotism. I will say I had a, um, I'm trying to think, I, I mean, I've had a lot of over-the-top pro-American clothing choices, but I, I, it's, not a, it's not a clothing item, but I'll say my, my greatest American achievement for, for this topic would be, I had Lee Greenwood's greatest hits. That is your greatest American yeah. achievement. Maybe just your greatest achievement ever. On vinyl. So, oh. yeah, if you ever go to like one of your like millennial friends' houses, like, oh, yeah, I've got Hipster. a cool bunch of vinyl records. No. Lee Greenwood, God Bless the USA. I mean, honestly, that's his best song, obviously. But the greatest hits, that's, that's as American as it gets, even though he's from Canada. Uh, second question from <laughs> Thomas O'Neill Roy. <laughs> If the Founding Fathers could time travel to present day, what would be the first thing they would be excited about? This is, this is easy. Yeah. It's, indoor, it's indoor plumbing. Dude! No question about it. No question. Can you think about how annoying that would be to go to the bathroom 250 years ago? I, to just realize that you have to go to an outhouse. You have to, you have to poop in a trench. I mean, what kind of life is that? It, yeah. And, in, and the outhouse is over the trench. It's not like you just move that thing daily. It stays there for a minute. I would say that or internet and air conditioning. I have this conversation, I think, air conditioning on, on is, a yes, weekly basis. And somebody that sweats a lot, every time I see like, you know, like a reenactment thing, which isn't a lot, but like, or like when you see like these like old pictures, why the hell was everyone in a suit or long sleeves and long pants or pantaloons as they called them back in the 1700s, 1800s? Like, how do you fight a revolution when you're like dehydrated and, and overheating all the time? I think it's it's similar to the principle of like when you see like not not like making fun of homeless people or anything, but like the the fact that homeless people are always wearing layers when they're outside and it's really hot outside. It's because you just have to prepare for all sorts of things, and there's no way to really warm you. you so your body, I think people. your body heat, I think your body heat is just at a different different state than than you know what you would typically expect today. Like I yeah, like I was at a wedding over the weekend and I was sweating the entire time because it was like kind of indoor outdoor type thing and. And you're just like, oh my gosh, how did people live without AC? I mean, I had to bring two shirts and like multiple undershirts just when I was a bartender because I had a wool vest. That was a vest, Connor. That's a sleeveless coat. Think about that for a second. I just, I'm, I'm saying the revolution was obviously impressive that we were able to gain our independence from Britain. But like, what's even more impressive than just winning those battles was that they did it in this heat. You know, when you put it in perspective like that, it really makes you appreciate the accomplishments our founding yeah. fathers really, really provided for us. Thanks a lot, George Washington. No wonder uh, Ben Franklin was always taking so many baths. Moving on. Uh, the third question, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done with fireworks? Now, I'm going to extend this because I feel like you're a smart guy. You probably haven't done that many stupid things with fireworks. But what's the dumbest thing you've done on July 4th? Okay, so we used to set off fireworks. We used to have like a neighborhood block party type thing. We lived on, we're the last house on a dead end. And the dumbest thing was not that we would light off fireworks in front of our house. 
and probably could have easily set one of our houses on fire, but we're not very trained well to use them. Um, that didn't happen. But the dumb thing was thinking that our neighbors who call the cops on us every single year who lived right there would not call the cops on us. They call the cops on us every single year and we would have to shut them down within a half hour and be like, oh, this year's gonna be different, we invited them. Well, we invited them last year and they're still gonna call the cops on us. What are we doing? This is insanity. What communists were you living by? I don't know, it was terrible though. Um, I have two I'm gonna throw out there and I wanna preface both by saying that I was uh, not just drunk, but beyond drunk. So when you're looking or you're listening to this, just realize that that was what was behind both of these decisions. Um, the first one was my, my buddy, it was in Top Sail Beach, North Carolina. My buddy, Rich Janofsky, was actually get, gonna get deployed. And a shark, like, was like found, like, they saw a shark basically in, like, the, I don't know, um, shallow waters of, like, the ocean. And it ended up, like, washing up on the beach. And I decided it'd be a good idea, like, the, you know, we conquered this shark to pick it up. It was, it was dead at this point. Pick it up, throw it over my shoulder and run it back to my group of friends for pictures. And I, that's when I learned that sharks have a, a different type of skin that is very smooth if you rub it one way. Very rough to where it'll cut your entire arm like just a terrible tribal tattoo, but with blood uh, if you rub it another way. That was a pretty bad one. That scar, that, that took a while. Um, I want to go back to the time in your life where you said, Hey, I'm looking at this shark on the ground. I'm going to throw this sucker over my shoulder because wait till my friends see this. I mean, it was eight years ago today because I got an Instagram notification about it or seven years ago today. So <laughs> people don't forget. Uh, and the other one was, this was actually pretty fun. I don't think it was my mistake. It was somebody else's mistake. But uh, 2013 and 2012, one of the two, I stayed out all night the night before with uh, my buddy and ended up um, running the Peachtree Road Race course, like not the entire six miles, it's a, it's a big road race, it's a 10K in Atlanta. I ran like three miles of it at roughly five in the morning down to a bar, that was my favorite bar, and they were having a tailgate where they're gonna pass out beer to the, uh, the runners, and then just stayed up and kept, kept, uh, kept drinking, and somebody handed me a microphone, and um, I proceeded to roast uh, I wouldn't say MC, but roasted a lot of the runners for about 30 minutes. And it went over really well, but it was it was a tough, tough day. You were essentially Michael Scott at Christmas. Yeah. When you realized, yeah, okay. Happy birthday, Jesus. Don't come Sorry. to me Party when I'm so ruining lame. your party. That's pretty much, yeah, yeah that's pretty much what happened. Um, all right, number four, favorite American-themed movie and song. This is from Michael Dark, kind of. He kind of asked this question. Favorite American theme movie is Forrest Gump. I mean, what? that's that movie is just so Americana. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, you could go like, don't get me wrong, like Saving Private Ryan, great choice. Um, Toy Story. You want to go another Tom Hanks movie, A League of Their Own. Um, just anything involving Tom Hanks. I just actually watched uh, That Thing You Do a couple weeks ago. Oh, my God. Um, catchy little ditty. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, Forrest Gump is my favorite, though. I mean, Rocky IV, it's not even close. It's really... Oh, well, I, yeah. Sylvester Stallone ended the Cold I, War. And I, I don't okay. mean in the movie, just in general. He's responsible I, for it. Revised answer. You're right. You're right. Okay. My bad. That's that's on me. We agree. Uh, song. So the only reason I brought this up is because I one of my biggest pet peeves is I hate when people say Born in the USA because it's an anti-war song. It's a great song. Yeah, thanks a lot, Bruce. <laughs> thanks a lot, Bruce. Um, I, I mean, it's hands down, uh, God Bless the USA, Lee Greenwood. Yeah, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue is, is mine. Yeah, it's so fair. Keith. It's, much, it's very aggressive. I, I like it, though. 
That's that's Uncle Chris in a nutshell. That's though. true. Yeah, that would been be the multiple type of Keithfield search. Um, and then uh, this, we don't have this in the doc, but I, I did want to throw out there. Uh, I said this morning, like we should be like what Fourth of July means to me. And Connor, um, <laughs> your response was incredible. Like like we're in third grade. Like what the Fourth of July means to Connor. <laughs> It means having barbecue and going and hanging out with my cousins and having a hot dog and I don't know why a third grade Connor has to talk like that. That was good. That was good. Is. So what what does um, what is your favorite part of Fourth of July or what does it mean to you? Quick side note: I saw I saw Toby Keith in concert two years ago. I've never seen a drunker performer than than he was. My God, that dude was sloshed. Get a Merle Haggard. Was, that was yeah, well, that's a good point. Um, but what is Fourth of Fourth of July to me is is like that halfway point of summer that oh, like wow. you get. It's it's this like great exciting time that is always like it's like the North Star of summer. Like you look back, it's always like your reference point for everything. And after Fourth of July, the summer flies by. Everybody knows that. You'll you'll notice it too. But pretty much after this, except for like the middle of August when everything just kind of crawls to a halt. Yeah. Like, you know, the dog days and all that stuff. But it pretty much flies by after that. Fourth of July is just like, it's supposed to be the peak of summer, in my opinion. Like, I've had some great Fourth of July. as like going to, you know, friends' lake houses and stuff like that and being out on a boat and yeah. watching fireworks. That's That, in my opinion, is like the best way to do Fourth of July. You got a lake house. You got a boat. Get on the water. You got some food on the water. That, that, that to me, is just is, is perfect. But it's just, it's supposed to be the best time of summer. Or Sandlot when they play baseball in front of the fireworks and you just get all the feels. Okay, so um, I'll take this one, I guess. I was going to say, it, it always reminds me, I always, I always get very emotional on, on 4th of July because I'm very patriotic and I've had a lot of friends that have served and, and family members and stuff like that. And it's such a, a cool time. that It is fun. And everybody, like, it, it's cool to see that we feel, like, united for a day, especially with how divided the country can be at times. And, and now, you know, we see more than ever. But it really is cool to have a full day where you're celebrating not just, like, fireworks and, and you know, hot dogs and all the things that we do love and enjoy to have, like, like on July 4th, but you know, the people that like fought and died for like our right to do that is, is always pretty moving to me. And, uh, and I was reminded of it this week or this past week, we were in Portland for again, Ali's dad's funeral. It was fun fact when he was, um, in, in the army and served, he actually was stationed at one point in Fort Mac, which is in Anison, which is where my whole family's from. So small world. But, uh, we went to his military service and it was one of the most incredible, and emotional things we ever witnessed, and and when they you know fold up that flag and hand to you and and, and oh, thank you for awesome. your service and and they actually played taps and as taps started there was a flyover and there was just not a dry eye in the house especially me it was incredible it's I have goosebumps now talking about it but yeah I mean for everyone that served thank you so much for your service um, hey, man. it's an incredible incredible we're forever indebted to you for making this country so great so amen brother amen. Let us close out with the most American thing there is, which is arguing online about things. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but uh, it might mean too much. So there weren't a ton of great nominees this week, but I did happen to see that the comments from our story, our news story that we did about Tua missing the Passing Academy with an injury, the Manning Passing Academy, that is, uh, the comments were were great. Um, So these were the three best. And I'm not going to say who these are from. You know who you are. But the first one. Maybe they will let the pineapple emoji take his tent emoji with him. I see what you did there. Get it? Because he's Hawaiian. He's aggressive. And he, gets, and he gets hurt a little bit. Um, okay. Speaking of Hawaiian, what is up with Hawaiian QBs? He and Mariota are great, but they can't stay healthy. Wow. Really That's, swung um, for the fences on that one. 
like that's that's like racist. It's but, not. But it's Hawaii. It's like not, so, but it's also not not racist. Like it's, it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, just a little, little bit of discrimination <laughs> like there. I, I would be willing to bet that outside of Dog the Bounty Hunter, this person doesn't know a lot about Hawaiian quote-unquote culture. I mean, if you really wanted to drive his point home, you could have been like, oh, Mackenzie Milton, look what happened to him last year. Oh, but Now you, you know. seem worse than him. That's Sorry. Right. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I rescind that comment. Rescind that comment. Um, Hawaiian quarterbacks are just fine. They can eat their Hawaiian rolls, which That's are right. so, so good. You're making it worse, um, move on. Anyway, moving on. Uh, last quote. This is the worst one. Worse than anything I just said there. Johnny Manziel did this once, and we see what happened to his career. So because Tua missed the Manning Passing Academy with an injury and not oversleeping because he was hungover, Tua is now going to follow in the footsteps of Johnny Manziel. Yeah, I mean, I think those two are just cut from the same cloth for sure. Oh, great. I I will say when I first read that, I thought it meant like Manziel pulled his hamstring. Like what? But no. It was... Wow, that was Just good. never, never changed. That was really never good. Changed. Um, we have three five-star reviews to get Whoa, to. Oh, okay. Three, not one, not two, not three. This one is from Helen underscore 2023. Subject, the most uplifting podcast. These guys are hilarious. I found them last football season, and they really helped me stay up to date on college football. When I first found them, I was recovering from a heart transplant and slept through every Alabama game from LSU to the SEC championship game. Without SDS, I would have no idea about plays such as Mac Wilson's block at LSU. So thank you guys, and can't wait for what the future holds for y'all. Thank you, Helen. Hopefully you are doing well. Man. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I mean, you, you. I wish I would have slept through the national championship. I'll say that. But, I mean, yeah. Thank you very much for the kind words, um, and best of luck. So the other one, or the second one, is Dog Stuck in Big Ten Country. Thoughts and prayers, my man. Uh, from LTBDE127. Would definitely take a non-lethal gunshot wound to the leg to listen to these guys. Thank you. That wow. means a lot. That is, that might mean too much. That's, that's great, though. But if everybody was willing to do that, think about what we would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be a great segment. Um, all right, Stooth Glue, I think. I probably, probably said that wrong. Yeah. I apologize. Subject, great. Been looking for some good college football content in this offseason, and this is great. Love the start of the series of old games. Thank you to everyone who has given us a comment about anything we've done recently. We've, we've really, like, I, I say this, like, all jokes aside, we've really tried to like go kind of outside of our comfort zone and do a couple different things during the offseason. We hope that you all are enjoying them. We hope it is making this offseason a little bit yeah. better to get through, and you're not just kind of going through the same headlines over and over again. So I apologize if we've missed a couple of, you know, couple of headline type things in the past couple of weeks, but I think, you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed more so what we were able to do. So why don't, if you haven't, Make sure that you join our Facebook group. Yep. As Marler said, we will uh, give you access. Maybe you can be somehow included with our founding fathers on Facebook. I don't really know how that works, but go ahead and we can maybe include you in that group too. Um, give us a five-star review. If you have not yet, please rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your, your aunts, your uncles, everybody that you're seeing at 4th of July. Watch Facebook Live. Do we have a Facebook Live coming up? So now that like we're actually like in season, have to be real boys again. Um, yeah, the Facebook so, Live is, is back. Uh, on Wednesdays at 8.30. We will have one tomorrow night, uh, or, I mean, Wednesday, July 3rd. So that that was just, with the travel back and forth, That was that's why it was so up and down. Make sure that you are also following us on Instagram, uh, at SDS. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at the SDS pod, at C. Marler, SDS, at C. J. O'Gara. 
Marler, Coach O, please, please do not get into too much trouble over the weekend. I hope that you have all of your fingers and toes intact by the time that we speak next week. Jose, you Kana, Kana. It might mean too much. This is Coach O from America's team. Have a happy holiday. Talk to you next week.